I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is coming off! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here in studio looking ahead to the Six Nations with Murray Kinsella of the 42. How are you, Murray? I'm really good, really excited. This time of year is probably the best time of year. You've got Super Rugby starting tomorrow morning and you've got the Six Nations, under-20s, women's Six Nations. There's even some Pro 14. I know Andy probably won't see many of those games. <laughs> but uh, yeah, loads of rugby all at the same time, so it's going to be a good couple of weeks. Oh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. How are you, Andy Don? Great, yeah. I completely forgot Super Rugby starting tomorrow, actually, so yeah. It's an excuse to get up early on a Saturday, <laughs> possibly. Yeah. Uh, we haven't heard from you, Andy, since the team was named and all of that. Murray and I touched upon it, uh, kind of delved into it on Monday in the members podcast. Um, what were your overall thoughts when the team was named? Were you happy enough with the selection? Uh, I, <clears throat> It's a conservative selection and um, I think that's fine if we see very, uh, you know, we see clear evidence on Saturday that they're playing in a different way. I think that'd be a nice, um, nice middle ground for me. Um, if they have roughly the same selection and are continuing to play the same way, I'll, I'll feel pretty disappointed. I think we do need a clear change. I think in how we play, and one of the easier ways to represent that is by making changes in personnel and asking the 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 people. To within by nature, they're going to be different players if you're changing selections, and they're going to add a a difference to how you play. Now he's he's effectively gone with the same same group, and I just hope I, and I I I get the impression they are going to play in a different way. So that's that makes a bit of sense. He's been he's been pragmatic. He's asking guys who are well established to play in a different way, and that can that can often work well, and particularly when. It's, early doors and you need to win a few games to get everyone on side so I can understand where he's coming from um, if you look at the, the French squad selection of one guy over the age of 30 out of 42 players and a complete and utter departure from where they were personally I'd love to see something like that happen in Irish rugby because it the, the French are making an, an indication that they're looking at in four years time they're going hell for leather for the World Cup their home World Cup um, and we don't tend to do that, but um, that's that's we'll probably get into that later. So overall, look, except that it's a pragmatic selection, but I, I'd love and need to see us playing in a different way. When you say that uh, you would like to see us do something along similar lines to what France have done, yeah. do you mean really like throw the baby out with the bad water, like as in talking <laughs> about getting rid of players over 30, essentially like a cull? Um. Well, you know, you put me on the spot. I'm probably not as I'm not as definitive. I'm like, oh, Jesus, I actually wouldn't get rid of everyone. No, I think um, just I'd like to see us, if you're talking about France being at one end of the spectrum and us being at the other, maybe in terms of the selections that have just been made, I'd just like to see us closer to France in terms of that ideology. I'd like us to have, you know, I've, I suppose the most obvious one, and everyone's talked to, to death at this stage, is I'd we're not going to lose in any way by starting Connor Murray. He's he's come into form. He's played well in the last two months. But I do think um, we do lose by not picking Cooney, actually, because he could be galvanised by that. And then you've got two fellas who are really pushing at it, and it's the old competition for places idea. Um, now, he may start in the next game. Who knows? But I, I just think those little things are indicative of a bit more risk and um, indicative of shaking up what's the the status quo there in that Irish squad, which has been very safe and steady for a long period of time and similarly underperforming. So just just a bit closer to the French, if not throwing the baby out with the bat water, yeah. You're excited. I'd love to see that. You're excited by the French this year? Hugely, hugely. Well, I've, you've fallen, I've fallen over them every two or three years uh, when they get like, they string 30 minutes of good rugby together. Um, and you know it's like I'm a Liverpool fan every every year or two I would dare to dream and get my heart broken so maybe this year it's all coming together but uh, <laughs> I think Galtier is there's there's a lot of parallels with with maybe when Didier Deschamps took over the football team actually he he was a they're very similar 
players. They're kind of midfield generals, brilliant tacticians. They weren't the star quality player in terms of ability on their sides, but they both captained very successful French sides. They've both gone on to coach now and both... I think Deschamps came in when France football was a circus and got it on an even keel and and showed what they can do, you know, and they're World Cup champions. So uh, I think Galtier's been been brought in very much similar mindset. I think he's Ibanez. He's got Sean Edwards with him. They've they they've never had a problem with raw materials. I don't think in terms of playing playing group, but they've always had a problem in in terms of their identity and what they're trying to achieve on the field and certainly in the last 10 years they've a decade lost a lot of fourth a couple of wooden spoons four place finishes they shouldn't be anywhere near that so yeah I'm hopeful to see a good French Six Nations Murray just got back from Portugal yesterday how did you get on? Yeah it was a quick little trip over on Monday evening and just one day of media over there but as you'd kind of expect or you'd be very worried if it wasn't the case very positive day and players really enjoying the fresh approach the change of scenery the change of some of the ideas um, and it all sounds very positive Andy Farrell spoke really well he was very very relaxed as he should be I mean they haven't kicked a ball in anger yet as he said himself um, he was very polite and friendly with the media um, and seemed just more relaxed about everything even naming the team on a Tuesday is obviously a departure and he said he he just always thought like why do people get so worked up by this Joe wasn't mentioned by name but um, it certainly seems like there's a little bit of that tension maybe and that um, needless energy uh, not being wasted anymore. So, yeah, it was it was a positive start, but I mean, that's always going to be the case. We'll find out more when they actually play and when we see if some of those players he's backed are going to deliver form, if a couple of the fresher faces can step up to that level as well. So I'm just excited now to get into the actual action and, and then we can really make a, a judgment on Farrell and the direction they're moving. For sure. Loads of questions about the team selection and the Six Nations, generally speaking, in the members' WhatsApp group, members.the42.ie, if you want to get involved there. Uh, There's one from Justin, and it's specifically in relation to selection in the back row, which you and I touched upon on Monday. But Justin was wondering, how is CJ Stander in ahead of Reese Ruddock, which caused something of an unseemly civil war in the WhatsApp group. Uh, (laughs) A lot of Munster versus Leinster... um, bickering but also a few people from other provinces as well getting involved and very much aboard uh, the Ruddock train rather than Stander um, what do you make of that selection Andy personally for you <clears throat> um, I, I I don't agree with it I think um, I think CJ has been is a, is a very he's kind of warrior like player he's, he does stuff lots of players don't want to do Um you know, if you if <clears throat> the mistake that the dangerous area we can slip into is, you look at a player like Stander, and I've certainly criticised his. Okay, he's not making enough yardage. He's running into a brick wall. Um, similarly, though, in his defence, he's been asked to do that a lot, and he stepped up to the plate and done it. There's not a whole lot else he can do with five guys standing in front of him. So if he's been asked to try and generate momentum by running into a brick wall, it's it's cruelty almost it's like but he just keeps stepping up and doing it um but the problem i suppose is more than the 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 way we've played and why we're we're happy to go with fellas who'll do that i would rather see a opening up of width on the field um get players away from traffic and in in those situations you've got plenty we've we've got other options we've players who can be link players we've got players who've probably a bit faster across the ground although standard is pretty fast when he get he doesn't get much of a chance to get a gallop up but um i don't think in open spaces he's that comfortable with the ball in hand to be a distributor to be a link player to pass out of the tackle um it's not his strength his strength is doing the hard yards and the problem with a lot of forward packs as a unit is they require a couple of people in the group to do that while the fast track ponies get all the credit and you have to have a balance of the two. I think that's acceptable for a period of time but we've 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 really consistently used that ploy now and I think um, at international level there's enough personnel across the four provinces 
to get a player who can be a fast track pony offload be a link player and do the hard yards and we don't need to categorize it and say we're picking one or the other we've definitely got lads across the provinces who can do both and i just think stander isn't one of them he's one he can do the heroic thankless hard yard stuff but i don't think he can cross over and do both and i think we should expect more at international level and we should expect more of how we play as a team anyway and to accept that okay we need we don't just need guys who can do the hard yards we need guys who can do both and i think we need to embrace that and i think <clears throat> the up-and-coming Caelan Doris, Max Deegan, you know, and I know they're Leinster. Yeah, Jack O'Donoghue as well. You have Jack O'Donoghue. Um, and then you look at Conan and, and um, uh, Dan Levy, you know, who will be back in four to five months, which is great to hear. But you're talking about a new generation of back rows um, who can do both, in my mind. And that's where I think we need to go. So... I suppose in that sense, I don't agree with the standard selection be for more for what it represents. He's still going to go out and earn his stripes on Saturday and do a, a really thankless job, I'd imagine, and be effective in terms of trying to generate momentum, I would hope. So I don't want to come down too heavy on him, but I just think yeah. we've players who can do both. Well, the question is around Reese Roddick and Steve Sanders. Reese Roddick certainly isn't a, a passing forward. No, no. He's, like we spoke about before, he's agreed with Andy Farrell essentially when they spoke that his form hasn't been good enough and yeah I agree that Cesar Sander he could have better footwork before he carries he could definitely be more fluid in his passing game I think he's a better link passer than some of the forwards in the pack and he's a little bit, a little bit more comfortable in pulling the ball back I think they get more out of him in that way but Test rugby is, is also as it, is, as it stands now is about winning those collisions I know it's such a horrible phrase but it is important massively important aspect of it because your whole attack is going to flow off that if you're getting smash behind the gain line you're not going to be able to play like there's no other there's no other player in Europe this season who's won or got over the gain line with more of their carries than CJ Sander and it may not look at times because it's in congested traffic but he does such a relentless job of it his work rate's off the charts as well I think he can play better but it's so easy to overlook the value of what he does I thought he was one of Ireland's best players in the World Cup I really did he was consistently turning up yeah he wasn't perfect none of them were um, and he's kind of continue that form and also you almost get so used to it that you overlook what he's the mm. value he's bringing I think the move to six is actually going to suit him really well because I agree with John Caelan Doris I think he's going to be a really complete number eight I'm really excited about his potential I think he's in that Faletau Kieran Reid mould who will be able to do it all Stander at six can just you know be that stats man make those tackles which he does his, his work rate's huge he never misses tackles in defence he'll continue to carry non-stop for 85 minutes and, and that's the, the role he's in now Doris can do a little bit more of the work around the pitch on top of that CJ Sander does give you a, a bit of a breakdown threat he's not an, an elite jackal but he's well capable of uh, making a turnover so they can bounce that across the three in the back row none of them are pure out and out jackals um, so there's loads of bits there he can jump in line he's not a front line jumper by any means but he's he's very solid and reliable in that area he doesn't make mistakes in the line out he doesn't miss his lifts that kind of thing as well so there's loads of little bits that aren't as glamorous mm. um, and certainly his passing game and his forward before contact I think he'd be even more effective on the carry if he adds those little elements in more fluently I guess but it just in terms of that selection I think I can definitely understand it Ruddock's not even in the squad um, and to me it makes sense that back row balance is nice and the balance throughout the squad like there are guys who are more like Doris can play mm. Rob Herring is a good passer so is Tyke Furlong James Ryan I think they can get a lot more out of in that regard and then you've got a lot of beefy carriers as well as um, balancing out the line out as well without Peter Romani you've got Doris jumping now as a as a kind of prime jumper so I actually kind of like the balance in that pack and yeah they, they can all definitely improve with the, the passing element of it and being more comfortable on the ball but to me it makes sense I guess for this game where he just wants to start with a win I, yeah. s I said earlier in the week and I, <clears throat> I'm getting a bit self-conscious of my left field uh, ideas <laughs> and ideology but I, I had suggested that someone like Ian Henderson playing at six and everyone looked at me like I've two heads but I mean if uh, he's a brilliant athlete he's a brilliant rugby player and he's perfectly capable of carrying and fulfilling a role that you could win hard yards too because he's, he's trucked it up a lot as a second rower he's a line out option and he's a better link player and where I, I in terms of the whatsapp group question should it be Ruddock over Stander I don't I agree with you I would I would have picked Ruddock but I don't or I would have picked Stander sorry in that 
particular equation. That particular like, equation. Yeah. But actually, the reason I don't agree with it is because I want to maybe plumb for someone like a different type of player at six altogether. So, well, I don't know. Like, I'm, I don't often completely doubt myself but I'm starting to doubt myself well, a I, mean, bit, England, I mean is there England is do there, Courtney Laws expect to be yeah. at six this weekend Atoje plays there at times it, it is about your coaching philosophy why yeah. you want out a player clearly your philosophy yeah. is to have someone who's a bit more I don't know dynamic is that yeah. the right word yeah. CJ Sander is dynamic yeah um, a bit more of a footballer as well as the combat of I suppose yeah you, you um, have to yeah. I guess like for a coach like Andy Varley you have to weigh up those things mm-hmm. we're on the outside we're not going to be judged by Ireland not winning you know it's easier for us to say oh, I'd like a few more exciting players and, and yeah. I, I agree with that I absolutely yeah. do and I think they can move that way um, and then maybe in a year or two CJ Sander will be really struggling to get into that team but I think the value he offers now is just really hard to leave out mm. Another standard related question I found this uh, a very interesting question it was something I was wondering myself actually it was uh, from Ian O'Reilly and he was asking why did CJ leave the leadership group and what do the lads think of the new members in the group? Yeah, this is really interesting, actually. I asked Andy Farrell, because he, he never really asked, like, I said, who's in your leadership group? And he kind of paused. He was like, will I actually tell them this? And he slowly went through the names. Um, and he didn't say CJ Sanders left out, but he, he listed the six who are in. So we obviously deduced from that. Um, so Ringrose and Furlong are the two of the new faces, along with Ryan Sexton, O'Mahony and Henderson, who all obviously have quite a bit of experience captaining. James Ryan not a senior level yet um, I guess on Sander I, I mean I, I'm only guessing what, what Farrell was thinking he felt that six had a nice balance across the spread, uh, squad in terms of their age profile probably their personalities and maybe Sander didn't quite fit in there um, just in this term in this batch I, also I wonder what his leadership is really like because he's not really done it a whole lot obviously the most recent example is that Munster Saracens match where they didn't go for the post when they really should have and he said it himself afterwards to, to be fair um, so yeah we're only guessing really but my sense is probably Farrell figuring out that Standard can just get on with his job not worry about that not be part of those meetings maybe he wasn't adding as much value in those because they're very tactical and game plan oriented and very cultural and trying to get the, the mood of the group um, and I guess Farrell believes that this six can really um, keep in touch with the whole squad in that way Did you have leadership groups when you were playing? <laughs> yeah, I think we did. I was never in them anyway. If they were, um, the I don't know. Um, I'm not sure what the leadership group is there to achieve, really. And I, I'm I'm not being controversial. I just I don't. It doesn't quite sit with me as a concept. In that your le- you know your leadership clearly. I, I'm being sound a bit pedantic, but your leadership group is Andy Farrell. Um, you know, Mike Cat, John Fogarty, Simon Easterby, that's your leadership, your clear leadership group in terms of what, how the team is going to be constructed and, and the overall play. Your your captain is Sexton and you're going to have a few senior players around that. And then leadership, I suppose, is you would I would hope is throughout the group anyway, because most of them have self-led themselves to be successful professionals. A lot of them have captained in their province and I <clears throat> I don't know if it's a little bit of overkill to have a leadership group as well T- to what end like what are they trying to achieve if they're trying to establish how the players want to play you know surely the coaches have a good idea how they want to play as well and they're they're picking the players to fit how they want to play if they pick a group of players and start asking the players how do you want to play and the players have a different the leading players have a different view to the coaches not sure how you reconcile that so I don't know to what end it's it's a, it's, a good yeah. idea or not I just never quite it's a well-established it. trope now and I guess the yeah. recent example we have with Ireland is essentially of Ireland's leadership group failing I mean Rory Best I know yeah. they were perceived as comments blaming Joe Schmidt and certainly there was an element of that but he's putting his hand up and say we didn't speak up and that's literally the role of the leadership yeah. group they Which meet up really weak as well like if you're exactly. going to be a leader and talk about it afterwards and like well I should have you know yeah so that's a that's lesson the point for this, of your leadership group. that's a lesson for this yeah. new group yeah um, and Farrell he mentioned it and a couple of the other players mentioned it on Tuesday about being a more inclusive group where the players do probably have a bit more say and power they meet up they regularly meet up they try and get the mood of the group how people are engaging with a game plan and all the stuff around it, even mm. all the logistical stuff and mm. going to games and all that. Um, but it would be really positive if they learn. A couple of the guys were obviously in that leadership group. They learn from the World Cup, 
and they speak up if they see something. Like, mm. don't say it in hindsight after a World Cup, which mm. has has bombed on but, the. On but the could you not be as uh, the likes of Farrell? He's got a, a, a lot of people are saying he's a he's an aura and a presence around him. Can he just go and talk to one of the lads himself and go like that's a leadership group? That's two lads having a chat. Going, what do you think? How do you think things are going? Do they have to sit down as a yeah, group of six? They love separate them. I know formalizing, formalizing everything, formalizing into a group, and then there's nine other guys who aren't in the leadership group and three of whom are resentful they're not in the leadership group what about having a chat well, like they're full time professionals it's all they do all day is yeah. think and train about sport like it's not like they don't have the time to have a one on one conversation with individuals without creating a select group to help with the coaching which they don't need to do because they're not the coaches it kind of goes around in circles yeah. and you're always obviously going to be in the danger of the perceived favouritism yeah. like and what if you're dropped out of the leadership group you know I yeah Oh man, he's been dropped out of the first team, but he's still part of the leadership group. So it's, it's a weird dynamic. I, I know what you mean, but listen, it's what every single team now does. Every single national team. Doesn't mean does. it's right. Yeah, that's a fair point. Everyone box kicks off. Bet the, the time French well, don't have they? a leadership group. You're damn right they don't. <laughs> they have a 42 <laughs> man leadership group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I think, I think it's just to have that, that, I suppose, a figurehead. Who is your captain? Like, they want to streamline it into, yeah. into a couple of guys in the team who are all. Like sounds like a committee. Leaders are perceived leaders. Like it's another committee, but yeah. actually you've leaders anyway. Yeah. Who are who are given roles. So why not just do it that way? But You yeah. asked uh Tyke Furlong about it. He was an interesting interview. Yeah, he was me. very interesting because he's obviously new to it. Um and he's never been a captain really, as far as I know. He seemed kind of surprised that he'd even been asked. I, I asked, like, did you put yourself up for this? He's like, No, no, no. He came to me and said, Do you want to do it? I said, Yes, straight away. Um and I asked him what's changed? Like, are you doing different things? Are you going having one on one chats with guys? He's like, No, not really. I used to do that anyway. Yeah. I, I'd be well, good for go. for chatting away to guys. He said the the thing he's learning is being in the meetings where they where they do talk like game plan and okay. strategic and tactics and the, does he mean in that leadership group? Within the leadership group they talk about the game in that yeah. way, which I think is cool. I mean, I'm reading Eddie Jones' book at the moment. And he's talking about that Brumbies team that he got together with Gregan and Larkham yeah. and George Smith. And he said they used to he used to meet up with those leadership uh, yeah. players and they'd have these incredible strategic meetings talking about the game, talking about other games. Sounds really cool. I'd love to have uh, kind of eavesdropped on that. Yeah. Um, so there's there's an element of that. And, and Furlong said he's learning unbelievable amounts of the game. He's a tight head prop. I'm sure he never really thinks or has thought about certain elements of the game kicking strategies, yeah. what we're going to do in this specific situation. It's yeah. often down to obviously just the 10 and and the nine even are the, are the eight. So that, that's that been a learning process for him. And yeah, I guess it'll grow him. It'll grow Gary Ringrose as well, who's not a, a, a naturally kind of boisterous character. James Ryan's a similar bracket as well. And they'll benefit from it. James Ryan said he's learning already the huge amounts from, from Johnny Sexton and how he thinks about the game. I suppose so. if you're going to have a group like that, someone like Furlong is going to be unorthodox which is great yeah. and, and if you're going to have a leadership group you need you need different opinions and I, I can't imagine Gary Ringrose is going to go in there and start you know tearing it up and having a go at Farrell or anything like that so I mean maybe yeah. maybe Furlong is, is irreverent and is going to go in there and cause them all to crack up laughing at something <laughs> stupid he says but sometimes the stupidest questions are the most insightful and they can't answer why they're doing something or he doesn't understand it might throw the cat amongst the pigeons in that group like you need diversity in a leadership group. If they pick five lads who are all the same or yes men or agree with the coach, then it's kind of yeah. a pointless leadership group. So maybe that's where I'm, I'm uh, leading towards that. If there's a if there's a happy medium, you get some color in that leadership yeah. group. I think that's what he's trying to encourage. I mean, talking to Ringrose recently, he was saying how Lancaster has encouraged every single lens player to come into every meeting and analysis session with an opinion. Even if you're not going to speak up, at least then you've got something in your head that's going to be challenged or confirmed. Okay, you don't always want your, your opinion confirmed, but it's about actually thinking about the game on a different level. Because I like I know when I played, and I know a lot of players never ever thought about the game. They knew their role in a few moves. Mm. They literally played phase by phase after that. Sometimes that's a really good thing, but to maybe have a bit more strategic thinking is, is think, a good thing across the group. I think that's an abdication of responsibility as a player too. And I, I certainly experienced that as a player and as a coach. Players don't want to be given decisions. They were like, yeah. just tell me where to go and what yeah. to do and let me do it. That's absolutely rubbish at the highest level. You can't just say, oh, tell me what to do and I'll go and do it. Don't ask me to think. The top level players need to think all the time. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think if they can... That, that Lancaster idea that you've got an opinion or at least you go away and think about the game is a huge positive. And you should be a head, head coach of... of Absolutely. That would be a good programme, I think. <laughs> be unorthodox, but it would be good. 
<laughs> me and Finn Russell. <laughs> yeah, celebrity banished door, Andy Dunn. <laughs> uh, you know, just b- before we move on from this, like the fact that Best and others didn't really speak up so much and now regret it. Um, like, I wonder how approachable Andy Farrell is in comparison to Joe Schmidt. I'd imagine he's a lot more um, accessible and probably just more conversational where you would like, let's be honest, like, there's a reason why best and others like genuine leaders of men like captains of provinces and their countries didn't fancy speaking up yeah uh, i think this current environment it should be a lot more easy for them to do that well herein lies the challenge for andy farrell he's been an assistant coach up until now and that's an assistant coach role they're often often players will go to them and they'll bitch about the head coach they'll moan about not being selected they'll be that shoulder to cry on and put an arm around them at times and he's been really good at that role now he's the head coach. Now he's got all these other responsibilities, thinking about selection, obviously pissing people off with his selection at times. Can he still maintain that personal man management side? It was really interesting. Uh, he was asked, you know, who'd have been the biggest coaching influence on you? He could obviously picked out Brendan Venter, Joe Schmidt, all these. I'm sure they have. But he went right back to the start of his rugby league career when he was in Wigan. He was 11. And a guy, Hayden Walker, I think his name was. I'm, I'm sorry if I got that one wrong, but he remembers he picked him up, dropped him into training, brought him out in the weekends to the matches. And he said, the thing I learned from him is that caring and being a mentor is the most important part of it. He remembers Graham West in Wigan, who had one season there and won every trophy possible. He said, how did he do that? Because people wanted to play for him. He was really good at man management. He said, some of the coaches, and he didn't name names again, you wonder where their balance is between the brilliant technical and tactical side of it and the man management side and, and the emotion and, and getting that balance right. He said he's got a lot of ideas in that and that'll be the interesting side of it for him. And, and I think the challenging part for him as well because you suddenly get catapulted up to up to the top. top Not suddenly, right? That's the wrong word. But you're catapulted into this pressure situation and how you balance that relationship with the players is going to be really interesting. So, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how he manages it. Absolutely. Uh, there's a question here in the group from Cullum. And Cullum asks, will the timing of the pool draw later in the year predispose Farrell to have a more conservative selection policy and or perhaps more importantly game plan really hoping for more license to thrill under the new regime is your pseudonym Cullum Andy in this group (laughs) Uh, (laughs) perhaps this hope is ignorant or naive given the regime isn't entirely new that said does it even matter all that much which pool you're in given the established lottery that the Rugby World Cup is which is a topic we broached a couple of months ago um, and he just says, okay, this has already been discussed. I still maintain that one is better off praying to an effigy of Billy Ellis and the weather <laughs> gods than improving world ranking position. Cheers. <laughs> nice question. <laughs> yeah, ju- well, I suppose just to bring everyone up to speed, just in case they hadn't seen the news stories, in November, after November tests, World Rugby are going to do the pool draw for the next 2023 World Cup, which seems crazy. It's so far away. Um, and the the bands of seeding are, are based on your world ranking at the time. Ireland are currently outside the top uh, top four. They're fifth. So they'd be in the second tier of teams, could potentially get drawn with New Zealand, South Africa, England or Wales. So they, naturally, you know, if you want to be in that top band, it'll potentially give you an easier draw. Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely spot on in the question because you could just get a filthy draw, even especially with the, the quality of the other teams around the world coming up as well. I, I think just on his question about the game, game plan and style of play, <clears throat> you're, you're talking about risk by changing, but I think Ireland risk by not changing and evolving the game has changed and evolved what was brilliant for Ireland in 2018 just isn't as relevant anymore like you you always want to have your brilliant structured set piece plays you want to have your five phase plan your maps off set piece and stuff like that but it has to be about more than that defenses are unbelievably strong and only getting stronger that's the biggest change in the game and you have to have more to your game you have to be able to thrive in unstructured elements of the game your kick return turnover possession Ireland just haven't had that in the last few years and that's the big development it's having I guess the, the freedom the license to thrill the license to make a decision um, and to break out of the structure that you absolutely need to have to to excel in top level rugby so I think yeah definitely both can happen and I think it's a risk not to to change and shift with the game and, and the trends of the game. Andy Farrell's aware of that as well. Like the, It changes every couple of years. Again, to hark back to Eddie Jones, he's like, that's why he loves rugby because two years on from where you, where you thought you were a brilliant team, what you're doing actually doesn't apply anymore. So I think they have to adapt and, and go with it. One fellow we haven't heard too much from is Mike Cat, who is yeah. going to be absolutely quintessential to what Ireland do going forward. What can we expect from him? Like I think the Italy gig is... 
it's kind of hard to judge you know what I mean because you're they're getting essentially spanked every time mm. we watch them play and while there are signs of progress quite often when you watch Italy uh, it doesn't sort of come to fruition in terms of results and things uh, Andy what did you make of that appointment and what can we expect to see from or what can we hope to see I suppose rather from Kat um, well I liked the appointment um, more based on what I, I would have played against Mike quite a bit uh, over in England um, I always found him a really difficult opponent because I didn't know what he was going to do and uh, and he could do anything really he could kick off both feet he could step he could he was a brilliant distributor and he never shut his mouth like it was intimidating but he was a talker on the field and he, he ran the game and so he had a really innate understanding of how rugby should look on the field and, and on my side at the time when I was facing the likes of Mike Cat, we had Will Greenwood and they used to be they, like it was like a talk off it was just two people just nattering all game at each other at themselves at their other players at the ref at the management um, but it was really instructive to be beside it because the phrase Will Greenwood used to say to me was I'm just going to tell the story of the game out loud, if you don't mind. I'm just going to talk about it while it's happening. So you get incredible little nuggets from during a game that maybe people are thinking but haven't got the speed of thought to get it from the top two inches down into their mouth and formalise a sentence while your heart rate's at 150 beats per minute and some 18-stone Tongan is running at you. You know, to be able to do all those things at the same time shows a real speed of thought and clarity of mind. Um, and Kat had that in spades as a player. And I think that augurs well for coach his coaching style we i don't think i've you probably can't see it in any real discernible way in the in the italian team probably just because of the results but i again i i, I lean favorably towards people like cat and their mindset so i looked at italian play in the last couple of years and when I saw something good I was like that's my cat and I love it so I and I'm not I can't be definitive was it my cat was a Conor O'Shea but the flavour of it I got a sense was like that's that's got my cat's imprint on it that's innovative it's it's uh, creative and uh, and good to watch not that that's an absolute uh, requirement it doesn't always have to be good to watch um, but I think it's a really positive thing and I, I think the advantage for cat is he he's coming into a group that have played in such a stagnant way for such a long period of time that like if we see one or two things happen against Scotland that look different it's probably going to raise the roof and people are going to go right there's a new there's a bit of electricity in this and there's a bit of a charge to this and he could be onto a winner in the sense if if one or two things go right with better personnel at his disposal than he had in Italy you know, it could be a really good appointment. And I suppose the other big positive is I think Andy Farrell really went after him, saw him, which suggests they'll have a really good relationship. Um, and he and he obviously values, Farrell values Kat's opinion. So I think a really positive appointment. You know, we haven't seen a single second of rugby under this management team, so it's easy to wax lyrical. But if, so far, I would be very enthused by it, yeah. When Will Greenwood was telling the story of the game, what kind of things uh, is he I, saying? Like he would have, you know, he's he's not. The, I know he's not the most popular pundit, and he's he talks a lot, and he's. Uh, but he was brilliant. I I was young. I was playing inside him, um, and I probably would have been a little quiet and instinctive. So I would go and do something myself. No one else maybe knew I was going to do it. Good players might have been able to anticipate or read it. Players who were a bit more programmed were left behind or a back row wasn't link and play and then play broke down and so I wasn't really running the team but when I joined Harlequins it appeared to everyone I started to understand the game better and run the team but it wasn't it was just your man outside telling me so he might I might have got up from a tackle and he might just shout like something like fatty tight heads in front of me give me the ball like as simple as that or he might just say backfield's empty or he might just say, you need to kick right now, right bottom right corner. So what he was kind of an eyes around the whole field. He was, he's two channels out wider. He's an extra bit of time on the ball, whereas I'm receiving a pass from a nine with a back row running at you. And you've a kind of a, you don't have a panoramic view of everything. You're, you're quite 
um, you're quite in in the in the middle of everything, and to step back and be cold and analytical isn't isn't uh, easy. That's what separates brilliant out halves like Sexton, mm. Wilkinson, Owen Farrell. You know they can they can do both. Uh, I couldn't really, and I but that's where value like Greenwood would we he'd talk the whole team through the game and. Yeah. You know, I think Kat, Kat can do that from the sideline as well. And that's the encouraging thing, really, like because one of the criticisms with Ireland has been that its decision-making hub is, has just been Johnny Sexton and there's mm. not much outside of that. And sometimes you wonder how much of that communication is going into him or if they're just allowing him to make all the decisions. So that would be a really positive development if, if obviously, you don't want a cacophony of shouting and telling the out half and come out what to do, but <laughs> for other guys to be really accurate and really... Um, I, I suppose influential in feeding that kind of information in because they're really smart footballers especially in the in the back line you think of someone like Ringrose who, who understands the game really well and watches a lot of it so I think that'd be positive if the decision making responsibility is a little more yeah. broadened out across the squad I think the only the funny one I've always experienced that was the, the wingers outside Will Greenwood would come in with their tubbins were the likes of Hugo Mani and so but you knew they hadn't thought about it and they just wanted the ball because they're, stri- they're strikers. <laughs> yeah. they, they were looking, I've had to think about things. I think you need to just swing it out to the left-hand side a bit more. And you're like, no, you just want the ball. And it's no common sense of that. Like, in fact, there's four defenders in front yeah. of you, but they're just wingers. So I, I used to laugh as I got older. Maybe when they're younger wingers that come in in club games and they're like, look, there's definitely space out there for me. And you're like, there actually isn't. I've been looking at it and you just want the ball and they want to get into the game. So, so don't listen you've to got, Jacob. You've got to have to save. Yeah, exactly. Jacob Stockdale, can probably be just the mute button on him give him the ball and, uh, <laughs> it was funny yesterday yeah. he said um, or on Tuesday he said you know our plan this weekend for the back three is just do the solids or do the basics really solidly and then off the back of that Jordan Larmer can step nine defenders so that's, <laughs> yeah. that's their plan <laughs> sounds Not like a bad one plan. Nope. Yeah. Uh, speaking of plans and again much of what we're saying at the moment is speculative in that we haven't seen this Ireland team in action but a question from David Cordial uh, he asks have we come up with a way to beat England and he says, I'm excited, uh, I'm as excited about the future as anyone, but the last two times we played them, they eviscerated us. Uh, this is a kind, of, a, a kind of a pertinent question, I think. What do we have to do to level the playing field? And obviously, bearing in mind they're missing Billy Vunipola as well, and don't tend to do as well without him, actually. So Yeah, obviously don't start as poorly. Like You think back to Dublin last year, and that was a, an horrific start. Two minutes, I think, they were down, and, and even that throw over the back of the line out, Ireland just got caught in the hop. And then I guess like it's a simple one as well, but physically they were outmuscled. Whether Ireland have the grunt against England at their very best is questionable. But I think they have the smarts. I mean, we've talked some about it there to to work around that and, and to create their own opportunities. I'll be interested to see how Cat and Farrell in particular go about that, having such a good understanding. I know they're gone a, a while now, but they have a good understanding of quite a few of those players. Obviously, Andy Farrell's son in 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 the kind of prime playmaking position as well but I think they'll have a nice insight into the weaknesses and deficiencies of that England group it's a very tough wave fixture obviously but mm. I'll be really interested to see how they do go mapping around it because it's it's a tough one to call isn't it mm. Quaylon asks with all the coaching changes and squad changes which team with a new head coach is best set up to contend in this year's Six Nations obviously Ireland and Wales will France, be hard France. to beat <laughs> <laughs> just get it in there early <laughs> what can we expect from France or Italy he asks and somebody else had a question about France here if I can find it um, try what, I'll come back to it in a few months yeah. I, I, like, I'm also very excited about France I think you, you were spot on to mention Edwards and even as it, like obviously the folks will be on Galtier my understanding is that he's a really good technical coach really good understanding the game but you can see it off the. You can see the swagger off him. He's got a huge ego. Mm. He still has a kind of player mentality. If guys aren't willing to work with him, he'll absolutely clash with them. And I mean, he's had issues everywhere he's been. He's walked out. He's clashed with presidents. And I think Ibanez will be a really good influence on that side of the man management. Edwards brings a totally new dynamic to it. It'll be fascinating to see. First of all, whether they can be consistently organising defence, because that's been their biggest Achilles heel all the time, just switching off in defence. The mindset around it of, of those big implosion moments, you think of Amahina in particular, he was the specialist at it um, in the World Cup, elbowing when they would have been into a semi-final. I think they would have given a good rattle at the, the, uh, the South Africans as well. So his influence in that hard edge, it'll be really interesting. Now, he obviously has to adapt to it. He doesn't speak French and... They've got a very different approach to things and a, a real directness at times can't work there and he'll have to be a bit more subtle with it. But I think it's really intriguing to see those 
influences around Galtier as well as his expertise in the game and and bringing a bit more maybe a bit more not structure that's not the right word but a bit more organization to how they utilize all those incredible attacking threats they have like Vakatawa if you can get him in good situations right now he's close to untackleable and Jalibert back it out half I actually think he'll have a big part to play and he's been really good for Bordeaux we know all about the dynamism of their forwards and while there is a lot a, a big crop of kind of fresher faces there are still half the squad who have a bit more experience and um, he can kind of lean on at the start and filter through those players so I think it's fascinating on, on Italy really hard to know because Franco Smith obviously hasn't been in around European rugby for for a while he's obviously been involved in the Pro 14 so he, he has that understanding and without Parisi I know he's going to probably play and have his last hurrah even though he's not in the squad I don't know I wonder about that he obviously deserves a, a, a fond farewell but he's not even in the squad it's a weird dynamic obviously they have enough respect for him to, to balance that but it's kind of a new air new era and actually in the back row it's really exciting Pledri and and Stain and Negri, really good players there, but I just wonder if they have the quality to push on. They haven't won a game since 2015 against Scotland, so I think they'll be targeting that Scotland game. I think it's in round three to finally get that losing streak off their backs. It was Anita who had the other question about the French, uh, and hopefully Murray has answered it there. She was just wondering, are the French dark horses uh, red-hot favourites, if you ask Andy? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, Yeah, Murray so, kind of lightly glossed over the... Uh, the prospect of Sean Edwards speaking French. <laughs> which would be quite he can barely speak English. I think he struck up their top. He tried it. He tried at the first press conference. It was, it was good. He got a few words out, but it was, yeah. the, it was the accent that. Wasn't yeah, yeah, English. that's just thick Northern English accent. <laughs> speaking French, it just doesn't seem right. But um, I think, yeah, really, I think they are dark horses to answer any of his question. Um, I think they've just got those. Uh, management appointments spot on absolutely spot on Keith Wood um, said during the week he, he's friends with Galtier and he's not afraid to brandish a knife was the phrase he used and you know he is a ruthless dude um, he he has he has that swagger about him I've, I've seen him around that in, you know in the media areas last year even at the Six Nations just swanning around the place like he owned the room which is a Pretty cool thing for a French head coach to be, um, but I think aligned to that, the Ibanez will bring the the compassion and man management and humanity, and I think Edwards will will add some much needed discipline. And then I think on top of that, their natural leaning towards expression and flair and and skill level. It's a heady mix if they get it right. Yeah, like Edwards is an unbelievable appointment. He's mm. a really interesting story because you look at Andy Farrell now head coach of Ireland Edwards has won more hasn't he I mean mm. as a coach he since he came across with Wasps with Wales obviously with Gatland a lot of the time he's probably not as good as Andy Farrell at playing the game if that's the right phrase and and being that impressive figure in the media maybe or dealing with executives and, and managing up which is a huge part of it every every head coach will tell you that so I'd say he often thinks maybe I should be the one in that kind of position. I've done more in the game. I've done as much as anyone in, in rugby, but not getting these head coaching roles. So I think if he can have more success again with France, um, it's another kind of massive achievement on his CV. I want to sp- hear him speak English with a French accent, a la Joey Barton. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. By accident. like uh, oh, Who's a Steve McLaren speaking Dutch, Dutch in an English yeah, accent? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Steve. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> uh, Murin asks, which Six Nations coach is under the most pressure this year with the team that he has? And was also wondering what of the women's team's chances. Uh, we'll be delving into that, I'd say, in a bit more detail in, in a couple of weeks. But in relation to the coaches, yeah, uh, is there anybody well, under specific, like really under pressure given it's kind of a fresh start for nearly everybody? Yeah, briefly to answer the first question, I think we should put a bit of pressure on Ireland to get a few results. Three home games, yeah. Ireland women. Like, there's been loads of talk about building and growing squad. You've got three home games, I think they have to win those. Obviously, England and France are quite far ahead of everyone else and, and you're looking for good performance over there, but it'd be really positive to see Ireland women win those three home games. In terms of the coach under pressure, I think Gregor Townsend is probably the, the mm. one that stands out to me. Obviously, the World Cup did not go well for them at all. Got hammered by Ireland, like an embarrassment, really, to open up the World Cup. And then, obviously, came up short against a really... A really good Jap- Japanese side, but they, sh- you know, they would have been predicted to get out of that group a long way away, um, and results haven't been good for the last year. And we've heard loads about them being, you know, playing with the fastest kind of brand of rugby in the world, but it's not been very effective. I think we'll see a, a 
maybe a balancing out of it, a bit more pragmatism at times in this Six Nations. But you look at the squad and it's not, there's been a couple of retirements. It's not particularly exciting. There's not really a, a fresh blood into it. There's a couple of guys coming back in like Hugh Jones who haven't been in the mix. Obviously the Finn Russell thing now, which is certainly, it, it's certainly not Gregor Townsend's fault. They they don't, don't seem to get on particularly well and haven't for a while anyway. Um, but it just kind of raises another question about where the squad is going, how they're doing. Obviously, they've got a tough, a tough start, and, and then they play England in, in round two. So you're looking at two very tough fixtures there. So I think if you're talking anyone under pressure, he's he's the one. It is a tough job. But we have to remember that. Like Scotland, Scottish rugby has to be realistic about itself as well. You know, the player pool is not huge. There's not a lot of world class players there. So he'd probably argue that he's actually doing okay with the resource he's got. Um, yeah, but it, it doesn't seem like the vibe around it at, at the moment is great. That can obviously change very quickly as well. And if Adam Hastings steps into the mantle and, and really delivers, and then you have the squad kind of getting actually united behind Russell being out of the picture and, and a coach kind of standing firm. Um, and it sounds like the senior players were part of that decision as well, that they didn't, they weren't happy with Finn Russell's behaviour either. So I'll be fascinated to see how that pans out for Scotland. Yeah, let's hope it doesn't come right this weekend anyway. Um, Robin Dempsey had a load of questions about Scotland as well. Just with time constraints, we'll fly on for now. Uh, I like this question from Colm, actually. He was just wondering who the breakthrough player might be in this tournament uh, and or just a player to watch that you're looking forward to seeing this time around. Might start with you there, Andy. Maybe Jalabert in France. Mm. They haven't, I don't think they've had a marquee not a 10 for for a decade really they've chopped I and mean, they've often chopped and changed but i think they could do with a figurehead for the next few years and um they're notorious for swapping nines and tens and twelves in and out and that's a strength in their game but i do think they need some kind of marquee world-class player to come through for them i think he's very talented i don't know if he will but i'll certainly be keeping an eye on him i go closer to home i think caelan Darris is going to be one of the breakout stars people are obviously aware of him although I'd say there are going to be a lot of people tuning in on Saturday who have probably not even seen Caelan Darris play in the, you know, the more There'll general fan. Who, people, who yeah. is this guy? I think he's going to, in, a, in an unflashy way, really announce himself. I think other nations as well will be surprised. He's, he is only 21. It's really exciting. And, and he's been mapped out for so long. When he was in school, we were hearing about this guy. Uh, he played two years under 20s, obviously captaining in the second year. And as soon as you're in the Leinster senior setup, you like you you'd speak to the senior players and they go, this guy is going to be amazing. They just knew straight away. Tyke Furlong said it the other day, he's like, some guys come into training, and with Kelleher and with Doris, you just knew straight away they're going to cope and survive and thrive here. Well able to win collisions even in in the biggest Champions Cup matches so far, but also he's got a, a rounded skill set. He can offload. He picks really clever running lines. He can jackal and, and turn over at breakdowns. So I think it's a, a really exciting prospect, as well as Keller off the bench. Like he's also twenty one, but a, what an athlete! It's an interesting thing that uh, you know the furlong. When you're when you're an established player, I I remember coming back to Leinster from England that I, I was aged by twenty seven ish, um, and I still really didn't know my way around professionalism. I, I was only coming to terms with. It. I remember Luke Fitzgerald came into the Leinster squad straight out of sixth year. He just done his leaving cert, and like within two sessions, I was looking at him. I was like that guy knows how to be a professional better than me. You know, he was just, just to the manner born. And there's definitely that ilk of player you see coming through that more senior players can just identify. You know, it's it, re- it reminds me of the Kingpin movie, you know, and the, the old washed up has been. He, he smells or hears the bowling. You know, the one where the, the 10 pin bowling, he doesn't even see it. He just smells it. And he knows the guy's good at, at bowling from that kingpin scene. It always made, made me laugh. Roy Munson, I think it was. But um, no, when you see a young guy come through and for no other reason than he's just got it, it's really exciting. And definitely heard similar around Doris and Kelleher. So it's, it's really exciting to see maybe. I, I wonder how long do you think Kelleher will get on the field? I'd say he'll get a good stint because he's yeah. explosive, he's impactful. I think there's probably a recognition there that he is the next hooker. Like By the time they're in Australia in July, I think he'll probably even be starting. I actually think if he gets a good run without injury, he could even feature in the Lions debate next year. That's a bit of way off and you don't want to put too much expectation on him, but he's certainly in that bracket as the one who can take over. Like Rob Herring's 29, loads of years left in him, but I think the ceiling of potential that Keller has is is far superior. He's the, like He's an incredible specimen. You've seen him in action for Leinster, but I think he also has that mindset of, 
like they're they're fascinating creatures these like test match animals is, is the mm. phrase you see them for their club size and sometimes they don't even stand out then they go up to a provincial contract and they start standing out more and you put them in that environment and it doesn't seem to phase them a whole lot whereas other people would, would crumble in that uh, step up and it is a massive step up we got to point that out as well it's very different it's going to be breathless at times for Caelan Doris and he's going to be smashed in big collisions but I think he has the kind of calm resolve to, to actually cope with it and, and have a, a good debut and then build from there it's going to be exciting um, to finish up then predictions Eric Fitzgerald was asking you to just name your Six Nations table in the way it, uh, you see it panning out okay I'll go England Ireland Wales France Scotland Italy that's probably actually along with the bookies I'd say yeah but I think yeah I think England I don't think they'll win in grants I think they'll mess something up at some stage but I think they'll just edge it Ireland have a pretty decent run I think like the, the fixtures yeah the, it was traditionally always a tough one and, and playing Twickenham was really difficult but France away isn't the worst fixture anymore for Ireland so I think they'll have a, a pretty decent Six Nations Andy um, France obviously first no no <laughs> which is I'd love to I think I'll go um, England Ireland France Wales Scotland Wales, Italy, Scotland. Oh, that's a tough year for Scotland. Poor old Gregor. He'll be, he'll be <laughs> out the gap. And Gregor to get the boot. Right. Oof. Scotland to get the spoon, Gregor to get the boot. That's a violent year for them. We'll see how it pans out. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, gents. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks to everybody in the WhatsApp group for all of the questions. We'll be back on Monday, Murray, is it? Are we doing Monday? Yeah, we're doing Monday with Owen Toolan looking back on the first weekend. So loads of analysis to be done. Loads more to be done. So plenty of podcasts on the way for members, for non-members, for everybody. Enjoy the rugby over the weekend. And until Monday, take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh!